0: Welcome to this modern education podcast that explores learning from the everyday exchange of thoughts and ideas to the theories and practices behind entire systems. Think education is cool? So do we. So we pair two conversations, learn about our guests, then learn from our guests, share your takeaways and come back for more. You're listening to Think Pair Share with me. Audrey Scott. (music) Dr. Gina Swarovski is the founding faculty director of Notre Dame Research's Center for Broader Impacts, associate professor of the practice for the Center for STEM Education, and the senior advisor to the director for the Institute for Educational Initiatives. Gina's considerable gifts have helped conceptualize and analyze the effectiveness of many programs, and her vision and leadership is integral in supporting faculty in amplifying the societally relevant impacts of their research, both today and for future generations. I'm very happy to welcome her to Think Peer Share today. Hi Gina, how are you? I'm great, Audrey, thanks. It's great to see you. Oh, it's so nice seeing you and even though we're on Zoom, I know one of the things I'm going to talk to you about are the gears behind you. I I love those so much. But first, first of all, are you doing okay? Let me ask about
1: you before I ask about the gears. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, a little, little bit of the fall time cold going on here, but otherwise um, things are going really well. Great. I'm right there with you on that cold thing. So (laughs) it's just November in South Bend.
0: Sorry, listeners. Thanks for bearing with us on that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Tell us about what's behind you. I know a little bit about the gears, but they're all these wonderful, are they wood?
1: Yeah. So this is actually a great story. When we did the great office reshuffle, once Remick Family Hall opened, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I ended up moving to a different office on the same floor, the third floor of Carol Sander Hall. Mm -hmm. And there's this part in my office, which is like about a four foot wide part of a wall where you would normally have like a statement piece of art. I am not a purveyor of gigantic (laughs) portraits or other, you know, landscape art that would fit that. And so for a little while, I was trying to figure out what could I put there that would be like personally meaningful, professionally meaningful, you know, not like going to Walgreens and printing like a 16 by 20 (laughs) portrait of my family, but you know, something that would make a lot more sense there. I'm very STEM-y, as people know. So Mm -hmm. I wanted something to do with STEM and for a, a while I worked in museums. And so I want, I was like, what if it could be interactive? You know? Oh yes. Yeah. And then I just remember one of my favorite exhibits um, is a common one in children's museums, which is like a gear wall where you have gears that are like magnetic and they stick to the wall and you can like spin them. And it just really gets kids um, really engaged and kind of thinking about, you know, how do these things work and how do they fit together and all that. Yeah. So, I looked for about 15 minutes. Um, I looked at how much it might cost to actually get that, like the actual um, <laughs> museum exhibit in my office, and then was quickly <laughs> realized that that would not be an appropriate purchase to make um, because I'm not actually a museum So then I remembered that one of our STEM teaching fellows from Minnesota, Dr. Mark Westlake, has this incredible lab at his school. And um, he actually had made a gear wall with the engineering design process that he showed me when I was like visiting there. And I was like, I wonder if Mark would be up to having his, like his students maybe like design something for this wall. They're like, that would be awesome. Yeah. And um, so I, I reached out to him via email, fully expecting, like, you know, he's got a full teaching load. He's doing all these, like, yeah. all the things that all of our, you know, educators are doing. Yeah. And literally within, like, a couple hours, he wrote back and he's like, this would be an awesome opportunity for my students. We would love to do this. And it was it was great. So we engaged in kind of this, you know, a few emails back and forth just in the yeah. design process of it all. And Mark and his students built this. And so it's made, you know, out of two big pieces of wood mm-hmm. that are like the anchor for the piece. And then they they designed all the gears. Um, and then they laser cut them and they stained them and put it all together. And then they had to make a custom built. Crate to ship it because you can't just drop it off at the store. And like the crate, the crate weighed more than the piece itself. So um, I'm happy to say that this is the first thing I've ever had um, that's needed to be shipped on a semi truck. Um, But it arrived in great shape and it was like a a very jovial and ceremonial unboxing by Dave. Mm-hmm. He deconstructed the crate for us. And then it kind of sat out on the third floor of Carol Sander Hall for a while, just laying flat because we needed the the folks who come hang the things to mm-hmm. to come. And I was like, make sure that you bring two people because <laughs> the sucker is heavy. <laughs> so um, I believe it's about 45 pounds oh. uh, like overall. So they came with the industrial size drywall anchors, yeah. um, but Mark and his students thought of everything. They created a like a wooden frame on the back that mm-hmm. made for like easy mounting and and it does it does spin. I'm not going to yeah. get up and spin it right now, but if <laughs> if you spin the top, I guess the top right gear, okay, okay they cool. all spin together. So, oh my gosh, it's really beautiful, and I love that it actually works. <laughs> And that these students did this. Yep. Yep. The students from uh, St. Thomas Academy in Minnesota, Mendota Heights. Um, nice. So, yes. Also the the alma mater, of Father Nate Wills. So. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think he's going to be our next guest.
1: Uh, oh. Okay. Sure. We'll, we'll
0: see. Well, oops. Spoiler alert. Spo- <laughs> <laughs> for people who don't know you, you are most affiliated with the engineering portion of STEM. So we'll get into that a little bit yes, too, but this sure. is a
1: looks like a marvelous feat of engineering back there. I'm really grateful. This is an amazing piece of art and kind of at the that integration of like art and engineering. Um Beautiful. And the, you know, the work of the students is is really great to have here hanging in the office. Yeah, it all comes yeah. together in that piece. That's lovely. Well, thank you for sharing that for sure. And um, uh,
0: go to the website and social media. We'll share these pictures of the gears uh, when the episode drops. So. Okay. Well, I know you're probably like, let's talk more about gears because the next section <laughs> is the grab bag section. Oh, so, geez. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, great. Um, it's no surprise, of course, that uh, for November we're going to do a Thanksgiving grab bag. Ooh, so um, lovely. Yeah. I was uh, challenged to maybe find some things I hadn't used last year, but no, I actually found some new things I didn't know uh, about <laughs> Thanksgiving to a to a certain extent. So actually. Side note: Do you have a favorite food
1: part? Okay, well, so you guys know that my last name is Sparovsky because that's my mm-hmm. married last name, but my maiden name is Navoa. So the Navoa family tradition for Thanksgiving, my my parents are Filipino immigrants. Yeah. So we made a tropical turkey um, growing Ooh, up. Good. So yeah. instead of the usual like stuffing and whatever, like we we never did that. We would stuff our turkey with like. Pineapple and raisins and apples and like brown sugar, a little bit of like uh, green mm. onion, salt and pepper, and so it was very like tropical and fruity. That sounds <laughs> delicious. It it is pretty amazing. What and, the heck? Um, yeah, and because of all the fruit in there, like the turkey is yeah. like really like you know delicious. Oh
0: my gosh! Yeah.
1: So we'll probably be firing that up. I think Good. I get to host this year, so I'm excited about that.
0: So, well what yeah. time do the Wellings and Scotts get to be at your house then? So <laughs> yes, um, at any you can be there anytime.
1: We'll be cooking
0: all day. Oh, my gosh, that sounds absolutely delicious. I think my mom <laughs> was always big on the regular cranberries, no canned cranberries. Oh, yeah, and I thought that was yuck growing up, but it certainly grew into that. And she and her family made a wonderful stuffing that is like a secret recipe. So um we always yeah. love that so much. So those are those are some of my
1: favorites. Do you have a secret recipe? No secret recipes, but uh, my husband's family, Mike's family, um they do a pretty mean pumpkin roll. not gonna lie. so. I have oh, been cool. apprenticed into making those as well. Mm. So maybe those sh- some will show up around the office. We'll see. Okay. That sounds delicious. <laughs> okay. I'm going to transition back in. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm oh. only a little, a little nervous about the crowd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Most people ended up being a little bit nervous, but this is honestly, I get a lot of good feedback. This is the people really enjoyed this fun section. So that's right. there's zero pressure. I was <laughs> very
1: excited. I <laughs> yes let's do it
0: and you know maybe i of course enjoy it a little bit more because i already know the answers but <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's slightly unfair on my part but no i um i appreciate your willingness to to give it a whirl so um okay let's see what we got first one.
1: Oh my goodness okay
0: <laughs> okay i hope it's relatively true or false so it's okay. 50 50 chance <laughs> um only male turkeys gobble oh i think that's true you are right. True. It is true. Uh, little factoid. Females and males. Cackle, purr, and yelp, depending on the situation. But apparently the typical gobble sound only
1: from males. Okay. Yeah. See, this is, you're going to expose my Achilles heel here. I am not a life science person. so. <laughs> I have only the E, as you mentioned before. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm, I'm waiting for the steam part. I know
0: I need to insert the A, so I'm not even on the board yet. But no, very good. Good job. One for one. That right. was really good. All right. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Second one. This is a multiple choice one. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> okay. In 1926, yikes, is there history in since? Okay. President Calvin Coolidge was gifted a live pheasant raccoon, or groundhog, who was intended to be on the table instead of a turkey for their first family's Thanksgiving meal? Was it a pheasant, raccoon, or groundhog? For his sake, I'm going to say pheasant (laughs) A, because I would not want either of those other two things.
1: I know. And this
0: this one, you should have gotten right, because it should have been a pheasant. I was thinking of what would be like a normal thing. So I added pheasant because it was raccoon.
1: Oh, that is, I don't even want to think about that. What the heck,
0: right? I know it's so bizarre. But it said um, he and First Lady Grace Coolidge weren't inclined to eat the masked creature. (laughs) Instead, they adopted the raccoon, gave her the name Rebecca, and kept her as a White House pet.
1: Wow. There's so (laughs) many things that I can't handle about that fact. (laughs) It
0: was too bizarre
1: not to include.
0: Thank you for educating me. (laughs) I think you get half point just because it's so
1: ridiculous. How could you possibly guess a raccoon? (laughs) I'm going to share that at our Thanksgiving dinner, and everyone is going to freak out. It's going to be great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you open the back, and then Rebecca is there. Rebecca, too, is there.
1: (laughs) Hello. Yes.
0: Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's very bizarre, but maybe I I will also share this. We can pinky square that we're going to share that. Yeah. Pinky square. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Back to true and false. The original TV dinner was the result of a Thanksgiving miscalculation.
1: Is it true? Well, at least
0: according to these facts, which are in 1953, an executive at Swanson miscalculated the company's upcoming Thanksgiving turkey sales, leaving the company with some 260 tons of frozen turkey. Yikes. Fortunately uh, for them, a salesman named Jerry Thomas (laughs) suggested packaging the excess product into trays, along with some traditional sides, and selling them to consumers as TV dinners. He had apparently been inspired by the pre-portioned food on airplanes.
1: Yes. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking. More like the plane thing. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is not great here. But you got half points for that raccoon thing. Remember? That's right. Okay. Okay.
0: I'll take that. I'll okay. take that. <laughs> okay. Let's see. And I bet you're gonna get this one because oh, I, I saved okay. this one and it's in the grab bag. But I wanted to do something since Thanksgiving is at its core giving thanks. Yes. Um, I thought I'd include a question about gratitude. Okay. So does gratitude make us optimistic and happier, improve relationships, increase self-esteem, improve sleep and overall physical health, or all of the above?
1: It's got to be all of the above. <laughs> Yay! Hooray! <laughs> yes. Hooray! for
0: gratitude. It does so many other things, but I think um, at this time of the year, it's kind of nice to remember and to be able to take that time and uh, and even if it's just marked by one special day (laughs) to sort of um, (laughs) center ourselves and and be grateful. But um, I know I'm grateful for you and all the work that you do. And um, so I'm going to switch gears now to get more into that. I usually do ask that um, sort of pathway question, what sort of brought you to Notre Dame? And I know it's a huge question, but where you are now in things, and then we can kind of
1: dig deeper into some of those things. Okay. Sure, sure. Yes. And that sounds Thanks, great, Gina. and I, I appreciate you too, Audrey. I'm very grateful for you. So, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Um, so, let's all settle into this, you know, warm and cozy November afternoon, and just go back. Yeah. so I actually <laughs> um, I went to Notre Dame for undergrad, and I majored in chemical engineering, and um, it was a really funny moment because I was a sophomore who entered, um, the major, whereas like many people were like leaving. So there are three of us walking in while many folks were,
0: (laughs) I would have been the one running from the building.
1: (laughs) And then as uh, my time here was coming to a close, I applied for and got accepted to the sixth cohort of the Alliance for Catholic education.
0: Okay. So what, what made you want to apply for, um, ACE?
1: Yeah, I think I always, I always had, uh, like a deep interest in being some sort of educator. I don't know. I didn't know at the time if it was going to be a professional calling or just kind of you know an informal educator role, but um, or a mentor of some sort. But I do think um, it was just a way for me to really live into that and see you know where where is that intersection for me of like wow. all the things that I've done here in undergrad and yeah, education yeah. and um, ACE was kind of the the perfect fit. For that, yeah. So I was in um, Saint Petersburg, Florida, at Saint Pete Catholic High School. Go Barons! Um, yeah. <laughs> I had a great two years there. I wasn't sure if I would stay in the classroom or like do graduate work. Um, some of it was like circumstantial in terms of the decision, but I ended up going to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin, and then um, really trying to continue to dig into these questions around this intersection of engineering and education, um, particularly for students who are traditionally underrepresented or underserved um, in the engineering field. So um, yeah, just thinking about um, how to make engineering more um, engaging and welcoming um, to audiences where perhaps it wasn't traditionally. So so as I finished up um, the PhD, then I actually started working, um, I did a brief stint as a faculty supervisor here for ACE, which was great. Um, and then started working at the Science Museum of Minnesota in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I was there for five years um, mm-hmm. in their research and evaluation unit. It was great to have a desk that was about 50 feet from a dinosaur. Um mm-hmm. Seriously? So, Oh yes. my gosh. That's was awesome. great. <laughs> I okay. mean, there was a wall between us, but did they have gears on the walls? Oh, yes. You know, they, they did have a few gear exhibits at that <laughs> okay. point. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So I, I heard while I was there at the museum, the center for STEM education was starting up and luckily there was a role there that opened up that was focused on engineering education, particularly for like K-12 audiences. Nice. And you know, lo and behold, um, here I am. So okay. I've done a number of things here at the Institute for Educational Initiatives, uh, since kind of coming back in 2014. Um, but now I have kind of, a. Uh, a three component uh, role. I have three <laughs> parts to my job. So the first thing is, you know, I, I am a faculty member in the Center for STEM Education. As part of that part of my job, I do some research still on mm-hmm. kids and families and engineering. You know, we also run the STEM Teaching Fellows Program. And so I am a core faculty member in that program and love helping teachers think about engineering and bringing that into the classroom for middle school students and also STEM integration. I've and- seen some
0: of that firsthand. That's, that's a fantastic program. I love that. <laughs> During the summer, seeing what you guys are doing, I get to peek in on that. So that's great. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yes. You've been there <laughs> when the yeah, teachers yeah. are like filtering things or like... Yes. Building platforms that float. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That. And that's part of what we'll get
0: into later is I don't know if I ever really was exposed to that kind of stuff. And I love that you are exposing people to that.
1: So we'll get into that later, but I'm sorry, go ahead. So, okay. Yep. That's great. So that's kind of my my main stuff for the Center for STEM Education. And then a quarter of my time, I I help out here at the institute level uh, on the institute leadership team as the senior advisor to the IEI director, um, who's Mark Behrens. It was a former fantastic.
0: guest. Big <laughs> yes, yes. Fair, fair share. Love talking that's to him great. too. Yes.
1: Um, and excited to be helping the institute kind of embark on, you know, kind of a new era here. And then the last quarter of my job is the one that <laughs> that's probably changed most recently. So um I am the faculty director of a newly founded center, which is it's a university center um, called the Center for Broader Impacts. And mm-hmm. it's actually housed not in the IEI, but it's housed in Notre Dame research or NDR. So that's Notre Dame's office of research. It provides the significant infrastructure for the whole university in terms of um, supporting faculty and other researchers and kind of all of their research endeavors from like Mm -hmm. applying for grants, like getting grant proposals out the door to when they get those grants, like helping them manage those grant funds and um, really just helping our faculty try to be as successful in their research endeavors as possible as part of like building the academic reputation of Notre Dame. That, that
0: sounds fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, it does. And I am so encouraged and, and I know it's, it's just in its first uh, couple of steps here because it's brand new, but That's so right. excited that
1: you'll be heading that up. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of that? Absolutely. So um, some folks may know that about a year ago, actually, uh, we were in the third phase of an initiative here at Notre Dame called Moment to See, Courage to Act. Mm -hmm. And in this phase of the work there, there was um, kind of a call for big ideas uh, Mm -hmm. from the Notre Dame community, from the provost. And so you know, we all submitted like these three page proposals on kind of some big ideas that we have. And there were several here in the Institute that were just like really outstanding ideas that our colleagues submitted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I submitted this one for the Center for Broader Impacts because, you know, for however many years I'd been here at that point, probably seven, um, I would get called off the bench because I'd worked in a museum and people are like, oh, you understand this thing called broader impacts, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, is a is a key component of um, proposals that are typically funded by the National Science Foundation or the National Institutes for Health or mm-hmm. um, and increasingly other federal foundations that give um, grants for research. They mm-hmm. they want to know how is that researcher going to actually broaden the impact of that research that they're doing? How do they take it beyond the lab or beyond? Um, you know, kind of this this very narrowly focused thing to kind of actually improve society or mm-hmm. um, like increase the benefit to society or the community at large. Mm-hmm. But it really is, you know, according to um, the definition, specifically from the National Science Foundation, it's just like, how do you um, propose to achieve like societally relevant outcomes? That's well, mm-hmm. kind of like beyond the scope of what happens in your lab. Mm-hmm. So the Center for Broader Impacts, um, I pitched it as like, well, we could provide some infrastructure for the university to help with that mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of our faculty who are embedded in kind of in their departments and they're running their own research labs, like they're focused on that. They're focused yeah. on like figuring out like the next great um. You know, theory or the next great approach to developing something, and they may not have a lot of experience or expertise in um, doing broader impacts work.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: there are some of us who do have experience in that. So, how mm-hmm. can we help find ways for faculty to like more easily plug in to um, to really powerful ways of connecting, like their research to you know the the broader public or to educators or potentially like to, you know, health, healthcare professionals mm-hmm. and the center, even though, you know, we're just starting, like, that's what we hope to do. I would mm-hmm. say that the main goal of the center mm-hmm. is really to just try to amplify the research that's happening here at Notre Dame and kind of extend the, the public reach of the work that's happening from our faculty and kind of the big research centers on campus. That's a fantastic goal you know, the way that I see it is like these federal funding agencies are like investing in Mm -hmm. the folks doing the research here. And beyond kind of the, you know, your standard pieces that come out of a research project at the end, like besides the journal papers and besides kind of, you know, those scholarly pieces, it's like, what other impacts to communities and society can this have kind of more immediately? how does it move beyond kind of the conference presentations and the journal articles and really kind of get more quickly, perhaps into the, um, into the public or into society or into the community? Um, For example, can, can younger children like learn about this, like middle school students or high school students? um, Can K-12 teachers kind of engage with these ideas? And really helps students understand, you know, more like the nature of science or like what's happening in engineering like today and mm-hmm. not necessarily what, um, it can be represented in, in textbooks that may be quite dated. Mm-hmm. So, um, that that's just kind of one aspect. Certainly, you know, there's there's a lot of, of broader impacts work that's related to specific fields, like, uh helping educate uh, healthcare professionals or kind of get more towards like product development, you know, yeah. like right away. So there's a lot of different ways to think about broader impacts, but mm-hmm. I think at least in the early stages of the center for broader impacts, you know, really try to think about how do we help faculty who are very focused as they should be mm-hmm. on their own research projects really plug in to other established programs here on campus that um, can, can provide like connection to educators or connection to community members um, so that they don't have to start everything from scratch.
0: Right.
1: So so just one quick example of what that might look like. Um, so as part of the Center for STEM Education, we have people you know, kind of going through the STEM teaching fellows program, and when they finish, like, they, they have a great set of skills, and one of them is thinking about how to develop, um, like, integrated STEM curriculum for middle school students. And so we have this, um, this opportunity for Notre Dame faculty, if they want to include um, some money in their grants as part of their broader impacts effort, they can partner with us here at the STEM Center to host what we call, like, a STEM teacher residency. And for one week, we have people who've been been through our fellowship come uh, come to campus, spend a week in in this person's lab, this you know researcher, this faculty researcher's lab. They're learning about the new science or the new engineering that's happening, and then they think about how can I, you know, connect some of those concepts that I just learned to things that I have to teach in the middle school classroom, mm-hmm. and they will write a piece of curriculum based on that, and then they take it back to their classroom. They test it, they revise it, and then they're able to share that out Mm -hmm. um, to other educators. So that's like one example of, you know, the type of partnership that can happen uh, between like other university folks and other university faculty and researchers and folks who are connected to educators and community members and just getting that research kind of out of the lab and into a more public sphere.
0: Okay. This is very interesting. And I know again, that it's in its early stages, but may I ask, is there a hope for a year down the line, five years down the line or whatever, would there be a place where everyone kind of interfaces with something in the research department or would there be someone in every institute that is their point person for this? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And, you know, we're kind of, as you say, we're in the very early stages of like um, articulating, like what a structure might be. Mm-hmm. Um for now, I think the, the goal is to house everything in, in in NDR, so in Notre Dame Research. And okay. so the Center for Broader Impacts will sit there because that's kind of where everybody has to go through if mm-hmm. they're go- going to submit proposals or, you know, kind of apply for these grants. And yeah. so being a part of that infrastructure is really helpful because... That we can, we can interface with people as they're kind of like walking through the process. Yeah. So we'll probably, you know, the hope is to have uh, several more folks kind of join the team and have one, one set of folks who are really like consulting with faculty on these types of things Mm -hmm. as they come and um, they're like, okay, well, I have a grant. It's going to focus on like this kind of diffraction technique or whatever. And, you know, we, We want to do some broader impact stuff, but we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so we get a sense of like, okay, who do you want to reach? Do you Mm want to reach um, high school students? Do you want to reach like um, healthcare professionals? Do you want to reach like other stakeholders in the community? And then once we figure that out, we're also trying to map like who is working with these different groups on campus Mm -hmm. so that we can either help them directly or connect them to other groups like the Center for Civic Innovation, which is housed in engineering, or the DNA Learning Center, um, mm-hmm. which already has, like, great broader impacts components kind of built in. Okay. And faculty can then just connect with those groups or those programs and, you know, again, not have to build everything from scratch.
0: Yeah, that's such a hopeful and helpful element for people who are coming here and working (laughs) on whatever the (laughs) research part is. (laughs) I can only imagine that that people are pretty excited about this.
1: We, yes, we've been very happy to see, like, lots of folks are really excited to see the Center for Broader Impacts kind of take off. Um, Several faculty have already mentioned, like, this is just going to make it so much more effective for us instead of, us try to like develop these relationships with partners on our own, or try to (laughs) envision some sort of educational opportunity, like being able to kind of plug in um, to things that already exist is very helpful. And, you know, one of the things that we hope to do for CBI, the, the Center for Broader Impacts, is really try to understand different points of the faculty's trajectory. So as an assistant professor, what are the things that they need? Mm -hmm. Typically, it's more like just plugging into something because they need to focus on getting tenure. Um, When they're kind of at the associate level, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, maybe they have a little bit more space to kind of maybe create a program on their own, or like develop a relationship on their own, and we can help support that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even later, when they're kind of professors, like sometimes folks really want to dedicate a bunch of their time and effort to to this type of broader impacts work. And there are specific grants that they can apply for. So how can we help support them in that as well? What a blessing it is that that you are here to help and
0: people are lucky to have you in that position. Thanks, Audrey. I appreciate that.
1: Oh, you're, you're welcome.
0: You and I have had the pleasure of talking before, which I've really enjoyed, but I am certainly not an engineer in any way, shape or form, but I'm fascinated by your work and you're you're super passionate about a a lot of this and I'm passionate about learning more about why that is. I don't think I was really exposed to things, maybe, um, but I had a wonderful education. But I think things obviously over the, the years um, shift a little bit. And I think it's great to know that some of the focus is trying to like, hey, how, why is there that such of that gap, maybe? And I feel like maybe you came in to un- help folks at an earlier time. Why were you so interested in it? And, and how are you able to make engineering seem actually tangible and real in people's lives?
1: <laughs> well, this... This is a great question. <laughs> well, maybe, um, hopefully this isn't too far of a tangent, but I really heard your point about like not being exposed to engineering like early on. And that's one of the main um, areas of focus for my own research. Cause I look at how young kids, like real little kids and their families can dig into engineering and like kind of demonstrate really deep engineering practice uh, through fun activities that we design and create for them. But let me start by saying I didn't know what engineering was until I showed up to Notre Dame oh. and my high school teachers had talked about it a little bit, but didn't really, That I didn't really feel like I had a good sense of it. And that may have been why I didn't do it in my first year because mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah. what it was. Um, and then I had friends who were, who were engineers and I was like, wow, that sounds really awesome. Yeah. Um, and I want to do that. And so that's why I switched in as I reflect on kind of like the trajectory for me. I feel like I had always been around engineering in my home growing Mm -hmm. up, but I didn't know it because it, Mm -hmm. it didn't look like what quote unquote professional engineers did. So my dad would design and build furniture all the time at home. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. built like, you know, probably on the order of like 20 to 30 pieces, like over Mm -hmm. my lifetime. And they're not like the pieces that you would see like at Ikea, right? (laughs) They're much more like (laughs) functional, and all of them have wheels because he likes things that roll around. But we talked, you know, when I was little, he would always be building something, he would be sketching some stuff, out. he would be designing it. And it was just to kind of fill the needs that we had in our home. Mm -hmm. Um, He would make a bench or like a, a table or something. And, you know, I would see kind of stages of the engineering design process just kind of inherent in what he was doing. But I didn't know that that's what engineering could be or what what it was. And so I feel like I'm very lucky to be doing the research that I'm doing because I feel like we get to open up that door for young kids and their families earlier. And it's not just about helping young kids understand that the way that they're going about problem solving and the way that they're iterating on their design ideas and like coming up with plans and brainstorming as a four and a five-year-old like that, that is engineering. It looks different and it's with different materials. Um, and it's with different kind of like designs, right? Like they're building structures out of blocks and stuff and (laughs) not like, you know, the, the skyway bridge or something like that. But (laughs) But they're still you gotta start able, somewhere. That's right. <laughs> like they're still engaging in these really um core engineering practices. And to learn at a young age that they're able to do that and that they are doing that is um, I think really, we hope very impactful for them in terms of believing that they can be a person who who does that type of thing or they can kind of take a creative approach to solving a problem and think really kind of analytically about trade-offs. You know, even when they're thinking about it in terms of building a shelter for a cute little stuffed dog or something like that. So, <laughs> yes. um, which we do actually do. We have oh, really? stuff. We have oh. stuffed doggies and stuffed uh, chicks, <laughs> little oh, yeah. baby hens. So, yeah. Yes, I think the point they want to make too, though, is like what we've been surprised about in our research is that the parents who learn that their kids are doing engineering and that they actually engage in engineering practices when they're trying to solve challenges. Like, how do I get me and like these other people in my home to where they need to be in the morning and like everybody on time and everybody fed and everybody, like you're (laughs) figuring out a really complex process there Mm -hmm. and you have to design that process. You have to iterate on it. You have to optimize it. Like those are all engineering things. (laughs) And when, when parents that we work with, many of them are Head Start families, um, when they start to feel that empowerment of like, oh, like I'm actually doing a complex thing just by solving, you know, everyday situations with this approach, it really, it opens up for them what they see their children doing. in, in solving problems and helps everybody see we are all able to do this Yeah, and they can support that in their kids because they can recognize it now. I love that you said
0: empowering because they probably never thought of that. I wouldn't have thought of that as an engineering cycle. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's fascinating.
1: Well, and you know, that there will be folks who argue like a more traditionally narrow view of engineering. Like that's what engineering is, It's the engineering sure. design process. You go through all the steps, you build the thing, you test it, and then you iterate, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess what what we, like the folks who I do research with, my collaborators and I, what we would argue is like engineering in real life doesn't always look like that. Like a professional engineer even is not always going through those steps in kind of a linear order. Mm-hmm. They're jumping around all the time, like they figure something out, they go back to the planning stage and like redesign. And it's not always like neat and tidy as it can be presented in um, some of the curriculum packages that are out there. Mm -hmm. We kind of take that to heart when we're working with families as well. It's like the way that you approach this, you know, it's not going to be like that you have to go through each step individually and only then will it count as engineering. Like, right if you have a family engaged in kind of deep discussion about how they're going to build a structure for these like three little chickens and <laughs> protect <laughs> them from um you know from dangerous predators or from the mm-hmm. elements and mm-hmm. stuff and they're really coming up with this detailed plan for how to do that yeah and then they build it and then they stick the chickens in there and they don't fit and so they have to like revise it um, oops <laughs> Right. It's like there's a lot of engineering that's happening in that conversation and it can be really helpful for for them to see like a broader definition of what different engineering practices can be. And like one of the big ones that we see in the research that we're doing is like how. The kids and and their care caregivers can really focus on what we call user centered design. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you design something while really considering the needs of the the person or the thing that's going to use that design? So mm-hmm. we see it all the time with the videos that they send us. Like they're really focused on like the needs of the little stuffed doggy, or you know, and they're making specific designs for that. And that is something in kind of even upper level engineering that can be hard to do and remember like you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are really trying to yes you're balancing all these constraints of like finishing on on time and on budget and all that but you still have to center the needs of the person who's using the thing mm-hmm. um and these little kids are doing that kind of just um you know naturally and yeah, yeah. And so it's helping them build, you know, empathy yes. um, mm-hmm. and yeah, engineering can really help kids practice dealing with frustration and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, a bunch of these other skills that aren't yeah. necessarily tied directly to the engineering design process. So, well, yeah, I, I think that is a critical piece. Yes. And I should say yeah. that um, we did a lot of our data collection for one of our, actually two of our studies, like during kind of the height of the pandemic and yeah. So, everybody was home, right? Wow. And, okay, yeah. And one of the things that we kept hearing, um, which really started to open our eyes to kind of the potential power of this stuff, is that when families were working on these activities together, they could see each other, uh, particularly the caregivers looking at the kids in a new way of like, mm-hmm. oh, they're actually like really creative in their problem solving. Mm-hmm. And When you're facing everything you're facing during the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. it was just really refreshing for them to kind of see like, um, and just interact in a way that wasn't like super intense. Like they, Mm -hmm. they were just kind of having fun with this activity, but also, um, the, the kids started to show that like, they were believing that they could, um, they could do things like they could build solutions.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And you know, so that's kind of one of the reasons that we're really motivated to do this work as a, as a research team is like, how, how can we help young people and their caregivers like really believe that they can be agents of change who design solutions to make things better. And particularly like during this really challenging time, you know, it was really hopeful, a hopeful moment for yeah. us to kind of see that coming out in the data. You know, truly one of the things that I believe about, you know, like, yes, there's all I love all the math and engineering. I love all mm-hmm. the science and engineering mm-hmm. and like the optimization and all that. Yeah. But I also love how if you think about engineering and the engineering design process and you do it, it really gives you the sense of like, I can take on a problem and I can figure out how to solve it and I can make things better. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, why I'm called to do continue doing research in engineering education is like- mm-hmm. That's a really important message for our young people to hear and learn and experience. I couldn't agree more. And I, again, I think you're a
0: wonderful vehicle for this because you you can bridge those spaces. And some people don't have that skill set, but you do. And I think that that is just so encouraging that you and all those kids, they can see themselves as a force for good, as we like to say around here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I've certainly appreciated um, your welcoming attitude, regardless
1: of my (laughs) skill set coming in. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and when you've been with us during STEM teaching fellows and seeing the teachers test their designs and just get really excited about that, we see this in many different contexts where you're taking on a really tough problem and then you can design a solution for it is just, it can feel really empowering. Like you, Mm -hmm. you know, you get the sense of agency around it. So. Absolutely.
0: Sort of on that score, then we often talk about maybe a hopeful look forward for either some of our work or if there's a particular issue that we're addressing. Um, you've got a lot of really kind of hopeful projects going and some (laughs) new elements. Yeah. Is there a hope going forward for your work in CBI, for
1: your current work with STEM, for work in the IEI? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I I always hope that um that I'm full of hope. You know, <laughs> <I think laughs> there you are a lot, there's so many things to be hopeful about. Um yes. even even when there are a lot of challenges in our world, you know. Yeah. Um I would say specifically for CBI, you know, one of my hopes there is really to try and bring some of this amazing work that's happening on campus. And, and I should say, there's a lot of this already happening with other units on campus and CBI is not trying to, you know, be the, the end all be all with that. We're just trying to provide like a key piece of infrastructure, the whole okay. university um, to kind of get uh like people's research out into the world in some way or some capacity and really again I just go back to like how do we amplify the impact of the research that's happening here at the University of Notre Dame Um, and there's so many ways and so many facets uh, to that Um, and so I'm really hopeful like I'm sure there are many things that we haven't even thought about yet or Mm -hmm. ideas or solutions that are Not yet even in our field of vision, because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so much good work happening here. And I guess everything is an engineering process for me, but until (laughs) we kind of like our, our uh, work will only be improved and refined as we iterate on it. And so really just excited about the directions that the CBI can go and like the ways it can help faculty and more importantly, help our community and our society, you know, like kind of overall. Um so that's kind of on that front. Mm-hmm. And then I would say in terms of STEM education and like engineering in particular, I'm just very hopeful that we're at this this great place of really thinking about like well what is it what does it mean for young people to really engage in STEM education and what does it mean to take an equitable approach? to STEM education and make sure like all students have an opportunity to Mm. engage in high quality STEM and like the the ways that that can really um, lay a foundation for them, not even necessarily to become a STEM professional, but just to operate in our world today, like having some of these ways of thinking can be very, very helpful no matter what profession people take up. So I do, I love how you kind of keyed into, you know, one of my favorite words is empowerment. And I really do feel a lot of hope that a lot of the work that we do here, it is a tool for empowerment for young people and the adults who are around them, whether they be caregivers, parents, or educators, and just really helping people see they have agency and they can make a difference. And perhaps STEM and engineering can be a pathway to help them do that. I like that very much. Gina, so grateful for your time today. I'm
0: hopeful and grateful. I think that's a, a good way to head into Thanksgiving for us. Yes, um, hopefully
1: no raccoons. No raccoons <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table. No, no we're just, we're going to go straight up turkey. Yes. cranberries <laughs> and turkey. That's
0: all right. That's up. <laughs> So appreciate um, all the wonderful work you're doing, your passion to sort of bring that to all of us in a way that we can understand, feel empowered and feel welcomed in the process and very grateful for you and all your work. Gina, thanks so much for being here today.
1: Thanks so much, Audrey. This was a blast and I, I just am very grateful for you and the opportunity to be here today.
0: And thank you all for joining us for Think Pair Share. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated. Check out our website at iei.nd.edu forward slash media for this and other goodies. Thanks for listening, and for now, off we go.